and welcome back to the Comic Lyra podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best, worst, and midst of comic books, graphic novels, and sometimes mangas. I'm your host, the soon-to-be-known-as-Comic-Stan, and with me, as always, is my suburban co-host, it's Jamie. What's up, Madrilla? That is a very suburbanite thing to say. I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was a fun little, you know. I mean, we are both suburban, so that makes sense. So we are back at it again, and it feels like the festive peat season has passed already, and we're now in this shitty weather and everything's bleak and... Yeah, I mean, this Monday was Blue Monday. Yes, which I saw apparently as a <laughs> the latest thing to be like, you know, uh, companies and capitalism invented that. Really? Yeah, like I saw apparently it's a thing where they want to try and get people booking holidays. So the idea, oh, it was, a, for fuck's it was an advertising drive to be like, pretty <sighs> sad right now, but you could book a holiday. But then the counter argument I saw to that was, it was like, yeah, but it is still depressing as hell right now. Like The most depressing thing ever happened to me the other day. What a fantastic way to start for podcast. Let's go. Well, yeah, can we have a brief story time with Jamie? how how depressing are we talking <laughs> it made me sad but as we've established we, that could be anywhere on the spectrum right so i was in my local co-op and i was purchasing the fixings for a cheese toasty more specifically a ham and cheese toasty because good because it was sad and miserable and cold and so mm. i wanted a warm lunch right and so i wanted a ham and cheese toasty and so I'd bought some bread and I'd bought some ham and uh, I was shopping for cheese. And much to my surprise, the cheese in my local co-op is now in, you know, those plastic locked boxes that like DVDs used to come in in the noughties. I've seen that online. I haven't seen that around locally. So I'm, I'm shocked that it's reached us here. Yes. So the cheese is now in anti-theft hardware. Hmm. Still not worth enough, I would say, to, to know it being in said well anti-theft contraptions this was my thinking so anyway i picked up the huge container that had the cheese in it and i walked over to the counter and i handed it to the lady and i kind of had tried to have a little laugh with her and i went we really are living in a dystopian future aren't we her <laughs> response big words for a co-op <laughs> well this is it but her response shocked me because she went yeah it's disgusting people keep stealing it we've even had to hide the shopping powder behind the counter and what made me sad is that this woman who is working what i imagine is a minimum wage job thinks that the people who have gotten so poor they need to steal cheese are the fucking problem here yeah it's it's a few steps down from the um people who steal was a baby formula like yeah. it's like if you see it you didn't see it exactly to be clear if i see you stealing food i didn't see you stealing it really... if i see you stealing fucking basic stuff to clean your clothes with i did not see you stealing it really depends on the food if, you, <laughs> if you're saying basics like cheese basic, yeah cheese i would class under absolutely <laughs> if you're stealing a rustlers i'm like come on mate steal something healthier or mm. i'm ratting on you like this is for your own good like, I will not, like, if you're stealing a chocolate bar, like, well, that's not Well, if you're stealing rustlers, you're going to need to steal one every time you're hungry. If you're stealing exactly. cheese, that cheese is going to do you for, like, maybe three or four days worth of meals. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So your basics, you know, bread, vegetables, meat, like, I'll, like, I, as long as it's not, like, an expensive steak, because then that, that's when I'm, like, you're not, you're not you're stealing desperate luxury. for fine steak. So anyway, I battered the bitch with a fucking basket <laughs> and stole all the cheese. No, it just means. You're the Robin Hood of cheese. <laughs> and I just stood on the street corner giving it to all the local hoodlums. The, the Hood of Leicester, Red Leicester. <laughs> Is that a thing? Is that a bit? <laughs> Robin Hood of Cheddar, Cheddar Gorge. Yes. <laughs> 
But no, so it just made me a bit sad that this is the opinion of people, you know, in and amongst the working class that they're turning against each other and they're upset at each other because they've all we've all gotten so poor that apparently we need to steal cheese now. Well, it's a fucked up world, but I think I've got something that'll make it a little better for you uh, in this instance. Uh, we had a comment on one of the shorts who I thought I'd bring to oh, the table here. exciting. And it's, it's, it's nice, you know, when to think about, we just, you know, we get on here, we talk our bollocks <laughs> and we hope people like enough they'll come back next week. Like, that's, that's what we do. Yeah, but the negative but, comments are the fun ones. But sometimes it's nice to know that we're helping people with mm. what we with what we do okay. here and it's nice to get confirmation from someone <laughs> okay. that what we're doing has made uh, you know an effect on their lives so basically we got this mess we got this comment i thought that's fantastic i'll read out we've helped someone because what they said is on the short a little clip of, of the episode they said if if it is a podcast i know what not to listen to from now on so we've helped someone oh, not wow. have to waste time. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> so we helped them refine their <laughs> podcast choices by eliminating ourselves from the runnings and thus saving <sighs> them time. So I think, if anything, we've actually helped people with, with our bollocks. So. To whomever that person is, <laughs> that is just fantastic. I looked at it, I thought, beautiful. Which short was it? Uh, it was the... It was the first of the two parts about Batman's dick. Well, there we go. Yeah, and do you know what? I think that was some really hard-hitting journalism. Yeah, I mean, did did they know that <laughs> Batman's dick had been in a comic and that it was big? I mean, we've established it was it was about close to average length, but but girthy. That's yeah, what absolutely. We, we got to the bottom of which Wayne's got a chode. Yes, which as you articulated in the latest short, how dare he get away with so much? <laughs> and you know what? We didn't even mention at that point. We listed his his attributes yeah. of the ones he was born with. Yeah. Being handsome, rich, and girthy. <laughs> we didn't even mention the fact that he was Batman. Like that wasn't <laughs> I would trade all of those to be Batman. Would you? You'd yeah, be I, I ugly don't, Batman with a small dick and no money. I don't know if if even average looking Batman, if that would fly as well or not. Like his, his romance with Catwoman, if he pulled down his mask and she was like, actually, uh, should we just be friends? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is Batman known to be handsome? Yeah, absolutely. He's not the most handsome in the in the DC universe. Who is the most handsome? Is ironically, uh, based on what we just talked about, it's one of the. It was the first Robin whose name is Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson. It was back when it was back when Dick only meant Richard. Richard, yeah. 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 What's the old? Uh, How do you get Dick from Richard? Don't know. Yeah, it's nicely. <laughs> old classic which doesn't really no one goes by dick anymore these days so it doesn't really matter you get more dickies than dicks don't you that's worse though isn't it i like dicky i think dicky's great <laughs> why is that funny that sentence in isolation is humorous come on that's the next short isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's just six seconds and it's just you saying that should we see how long we can go while the shorts are just still knob gags like how much we can ring from that do we want to either a alienate our audience or b create a, an audience that might not be catered to like deep dives wants- on comics where like well actually the themes in this part really <laughs> dig into the the character motivations like get the dick jokes out <laughs> do the knob gags <laughs> i'm like we we will we will we're <laughs> getting to the knob gags we just want to do the the introspective literature review part absolutely and then the knob gags mm. But so to whoever left that comment, thank you. We appreciate your input. And if you want anyone else wants to leave comments with any such criticism, uh, constructive or not, we will read them out because 
they'll if, as long as it's hilarious we'll read if them this is a podcast i know what to not listen to that's so good that's so funny it's like that's almost like that's like a few tears away from like oh this is a good podcast not <laughs> i mean it's better than go which we got I mean, that was a class. That's an all-timer <laughs> comment, though. <laughs> kind of so act like bad. we didn't get that comment. Oh, <laughs> uh, should we get? Should we? Should we start? Should we? Should we get into it? Yeah, we're gonna get into it because I think there's gonna be a little more somberness in the following hour or so discussing this comic. Uh, you've seen from the title, as I always put it every time we talk about it, we are doing the latest comic from a writer-artist duo, which I'm going to get into a bit. Uh, the latest title, Where the Body Was, um, mm. written by Ed Brubaker and art by Sean Phillips. Now, this one, I'm, I was excited before we even read it, because mm. this is a, a creative duo that I have been following for a while, uh, and they do great stuff. Obviously, they both come from comics, and they both had their work in like the big two, and you know that's how they came up. But when they started working together, almost exclusively, like they do other stuff here and there, but like their main stuff is together. They have produced like in terms of a hit rate of like a consistent duo, theirs is the highest. Really? I don't think they've got. I wouldn't go so far as to say they've they've had a single title that's like a be- a best of all time or anything. So they're not like all the other creators we talk about was like, oh, that comic was the best of all time. But then you, there's a couple of others you might like, and then you don't really look at everything else. <laughs> theirs is a, a pretty consistent hit rate of, of great comics, I would say. Yeah. Uh, most probably known for uh, one called Criminal, which was a kind of anthology-ish series in the sense that each, each individual-ish, uh, individual series was a s- isolated story across like four, five, six issues or whatever. But it was always a new character in each one, but set within the same universe. Um, Always like a noir thriller type thing, always about crime as given by the title. Um, They've done a bunch of other stuff as well that I haven't read. Uh, Ones like Pulp and Reckless, which again, I haven't read those, but they did another one called Kill or Be Killed, which was really great as well. That was like about a guy, rough plot was there's a guy who through, I can't remember exactly how he got into a situation where his life was saved by a demon that demanded that he had to kill someone every month to stay alive. And it turned into like this average normal person suddenly having to like kill people. And it really gets into, as we'll talk about in this issue, gets into like real character stuff and how they're affected by the things going on and and things like that. Mm. So again, really excited. Also, Ed Brubaker invented the created the Winter Soldier for Marvel. So oh shit, was not properly compensated when they started using him in the MCU. Oh. He was very vocal about that. I actually quoted him in a previous episode of like guys who like artists who. Uh, right. writers who have not been compensated properly by mcu it's like we've made a billion dollars off this character like, can i have a bit like mm, is is that a couple grand fuck off i'm like, stealing cheese over here <laughs> <laughs> i'm fighting to survive <laughs> just just for anybody who gets their hard news from us because apparently people do ed brubaker probably hasn't resorted to stealing cheese i don't know him almost certainly hasn't <laughs> we're not saying Definitely, or just almost certainly hasn't. I remember I went to university with a guy who at the time seemed ancient, but he was probably only like 25. And he once told me that he had gotten to a point in his life where he needed to steal a small object every now and again just to keep the magic going. Kleptomania. Yeah, and and I remember Mm. thinking at the time, I'm poor. 
And even I don't do that. <laughs> like it's, it's the risk to reward kind of thing. Like the more yeah. times you do it, the more likely you're going to be caught. And then that's a whole hassle that you don't need. And like as a teenager, when you're shoplifting, they tend to just like give them a slap on the wrist, call their parents, scare them a little bit. Depending on what it is that you've stolen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to do that for like a, a HDTV. Do you know... Do you know the story about those two teenagers that just started robbing celebrities' houses? No. Oh my god. So one of them was like, had her family were pushing to be like the next Kardashians and they were making a... um making a reality TV show at the time. It was like the late noughties. And they just came in the background through the window like, oh, sorry. Well, so she she ended up with this friend who said that he worked in fashion or something, but actually he was just using like TMZ and stuff to work out when celebrities weren't going to be home and sacking their houses. And there was one particular celebrity and they said like they used her wardrobe as a personal closet because they could steal so much clothes from her. And she had so many people like in and out of her house and she got so much stuff from like free from like fashion people that for a good few months, she just didn't notice they were systematically robbing her. Wow. They're just going through a window. The the excesses of uh, unfettered wealth. Yeah, but Am then, I right? but then they then they like they took it too far and they started stealing jewelry. And it was like so they stole a lot of stuff that she'd gotten for free, but they also stole stuff that was irreplaceable that came from her family. And it's like just because somebody's rich, I don't think you should necessarily steal from them. Mm. Unless they're the co-op and it's cheese, in which <laughs> yeah. case I firmly advocate for it, apparently. The extremely wealth hoarding co-op. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't know, for any, for any of our non-British listeners, the co-op is a small supermarket chain in the UK that, to some degree, is still cooperatively owned. Like I don't, I don't fully understand it. Back in the day, it was like very much cooperatively owned, and everyone would put invest in their community to have a co-op. All I know about co-op is their meal deal selection is uh, leaves a lot to be desired. It's piss weak, isn't yes, it? Yes, it's not great. Although they used to do a sat like you know the sandwiches they have in the little black paper bags that have like a plastic insert and mm. they're big and like thick and square. They used to do a salmon and poached egg one of those that I fucked with. I fucked with that stuff. I think there might be some people who are like, I thought they were going to talk about the comic and they're <laughs> they're back on co-op somehow. <laughs> I'm so sorry, so, guys. I've I've we did get there naturally. It wasn't it wasn't like you were like yeah, yeah back to co-op though. Like, <laughs> I just really want to talk about the co-op today. So. Back to the comic, yeah. uh, where the body was, what did you think of? Uh, what's uh, your general first impressions? I enjoyed it. Um, again, this is one of those that I'm not sure if I liked it or I was just having a good day when I read it. I was very relaxed. Mm. I was enjoying a nice train journey and I sat down with it and I read it and I thought it was good. Um, starting with the arting. Should I do a little, uh, a little quick blurb just for anyone who uh, rather, yeah, okay. rather making you describe what the story was? Because yeah, I think like, this one's a loose enough story that that might be a big ask for you. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, let's let's get a blurb out there. So basically, a uh, couple of uh, electric uh, group of characters, shall we say? Electic? Is that, was that Eclectic? correct? Electic. Eclectic? Eclectic. A epileptic group of characters. <laughs> Um, who are uh, all star in this kind of ensemble story? Uh, yeah. There's a there's a word for these kind of stories. They did it back in the Simpsons when they had it's like Pulp Fictions, like different yes. stories converging that kind of thing. Um, and the brief blurb just basically describes some of the characters: uh, a boarding house full of druggies, a neglected housewife, a young girl who thinks she's a superhero. Gotta get that superhero fix in there somewhere. Yeah. 
Uh, a cop who wants to be left alone, a private detective looking for a runaway girl, these stories collide one fateful summer in Where the Body Was. A tale of love and murder in the suburbs told from a dozen different points of view. All the neighbours on the block have an opinion about the murder and how it happened, but which of them is telling the truth? I've I've played that up a little bit. I enjoyed the story. Uh, it sounds like I'm mocking it, but I actually did find it quite engrossing. It was and, good. Uh, yeah, yeah no, it was very engrossing and it, it moved along at a really reasonable pace. Mm. We've not started with the arted. Start, let's starting with the arting. Starting with the arting. The uh, art wasn't groundbreaking, but it was serviceable. I think it complemented the story very well. Um, I think it... The shadowing uh, was, I think, probably the best aspect of it. Like, yeah. I was impressed at points by like the the different shadows on the characters and stuff. Which it sounds like a very weird specific thing to point out. Yeah, but I feel like when you've got these characters who are just kind of talking to each other, the shadow creates like intrigue or suspense at points. When yeah. and then when there's more benign conversations, then that you don't have as much of that. So I think like there's really there's little inventive telling ways of like how we should feel about a scene when we're in it the color yeah. grading like does seem to be quite common across the board for certain scenes so like when it's bright and colorful regardless of whether it's outdoors or indoors or whatever then it's it's nicer and then i think as the entire story goes along it gets darker and a bit like less uh bright less contrasting yeah and there's also very very hard pivots where the color changes like we're in a not only are we in a different scene now but the energy has like completely right hard right turned into something else yeah absolutely and it i mean i feel like the art is very bread and butter comic book stuff like for us to talk about it in you know any more detail than that i think over aggrandizes it everything is pulling its weight for me yeah. i like the roughness and i i think we've had it before where i like it when it's a bit rougher if it services the story yeah totally it almost reminds me of the walking dead a little bit yeah i can see that it's a hard comparison because obviously this is color to no color yeah but i see what you mean uh different similar kind of face styles like face shapes and that kind of thing mm. i did find that like it's ever since your big complaint about janky faces that's <laughs> i've been more aware of that i feel like here there are some points where the faces aren't as detailed as other styles yeah but i think the expressions always come across yeah totally like there there is some stuff that if they were going for a more rigid art style could be considered janky there is one particular thing that they do very well um which is the physical form of a curvy woman i was about to get into that as well because like i am hot for tony <laughs> so the hard one of the hard pivots i was talking about was one where it just goes from normal out this is quite early on in the beginning normal outdoor everything's fine and then straight into some of the most graphic sex you've ever seen in I, a comic book i'm hot yeah. for tony man yeah. she's an attractive woman yes but i know exactly what you mean i was going to make the same point she looks like a real person yeah and, and that really trying to get across how great that is and yeah. not a, any backhanded compliment or anything like that uh, by comic standards people and especially women are portrayed in a certain way if you've read any superhero comics you know exactly what i mean prime example power girl with a fucking window in the top which still to this day i am bewildered they've kept that i don't know yeah why. they've persisted in that one haven't they it feels like one of those things where they're like we can't just retcon it because then we'll look stupid for having it in the first place i'm like just take the l like just to cover it up just Christ. you literally have to add more white less cleave like yeah. it's not hard but like again normal scene and then straight into graphic sex and not only graphic sex 
but again real looking people she especially looks like a real person and it is addressed in the sense because the the guy she's having sex with makes a point in another scene of like liking real looking women full figured women i think he describes he likes a big girl doesn't he exactly (laughs) and she and by real standards she is not big at all no she is she's real proportioned as a normal human is um but i think again by comic standards you would uh, people would have the misconception of classing her as big I don't think by yeah. by real people's hands, she's not big at all. She is uh, normal. I would say she's slim thick. Yeah, and if she you are, if you actually want to define it, sure. And <laughs> curvy, uh, curvy, I'd go for yeah. as well. Yeah, um, but yeah, the, the sex scenes especially, it's a consistent color across like all the sex scenes. So as, even that the color I'm looking at now, the color does change a bit. It goes from like, but it's always like an orange or a purple or like, and it's all like them and the background and everything. So and again, like that lighting and shading that kind of stuff just really like really subtly adds to it as a side note i was reading this on a train and the old man (laughs) the old man i was sat next to looked over at what i was doing at one point and it was like a full page of panels of just her in different positions getting absolutely blasted and it was like i just kind of looked at him and i was like long story (laughs) back in back in the day when we were reading comics in a uh not to mention place of business I was had to literally skip through entire sections of saga. Oh so I was yeah, like, I mean the one where they go to the brothel. <laughs> I mean even just the normal like wholesome couple having sex ones. I was like, I can't yeah. look at this in a place of business. I mean saga literally opens to a live birth, doesn't yes. it? Like that shit is that it, it holds back nothing. And a, but but not as bad <laughs> as just graphic sex. Like. Yeah, absolutely. But no, yeah, I read this in public and I did have a little moment with this old guy on mm. the train where I was like, I can't be asked to explain to him what I'm doing. Also something you don't see a lot of in any kind of uh mainstream media or fiction, uh a lot of cunnilingus, which Yeah, that great, man likes to go down south. Great representation for again, like you don't see that often. There was a whole thing I think I've mentioned before where someone did like a, a fan art thing about Batman going down on Catwoman or something. Oh. Or they they wanted to make a... No, they, they said they wanted to... They, that happened as well. But th- that was in response to a minor scandal where basically the Harley Quinn cartoon show, it's an mm. adult cartoon, and they basically like self-referential jokes about the DC superheroes in the universe. Mm. And one of them, there's Batman and Catwoman's relationship, and yeah. they want to do a joke about Batman going down on Catwoman. Yeah. Um, and DC shot that down. It was one of the few... When you watch the show, oh. there's a lot of other stuff like that. Like, at one point, Bane, who's hilarious in this, he's like, really sad sack, like, <laughs> I want to destroy the Gotham. <laughs> and so it's like, shut up, Bane. He's like, aww. <laughs> sad sack. Hilarious. Um, he, at one point, gets made massive like a gaiju like matt godzilla yeah. size but he's also taken viagra or something <laughs> and he ends up like fucking buildings or something <laughs> like that happens in the tv show is bane hung dc well he wasn't that instance because he was he was bloody godzilla like so well no godzilla could still have like a proportionally tiny pecker i think the idea i think there might have been a joke i, I don't know if i'm misremembering or not i think there might have been a joke where like he was small because of the venom like it was like a steroids joke like the uh... venom had made but but then he took something i think the reason he was made big was to make his dick bigger and it <laughs> made him a godzilla or whatever and then he fucked buildings yes yeah he definitely fucked buildings i remember that part Weird, but my, my point being dc were fine with that <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like, oh, can we have Batwoman, uh, Batman going down on Catwoman? And they were like, absolutely not. And what they specifically said, or what someone said was, superheroes don't do that. I mean, specifically referring to Cunnilingus. I mean, let's be frank here. This is a boardroom full of high-powered American men 
who are like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna No eat. one does that. <laughs> yeah, literally like what, do you think I'm gay? I don't eat pussy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like <laughs> That's exactly the the mindset of these out of touch rich yeah. rich men. Men uh, for the most part. And it's like, nah, be a bro. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was good to mention that part of the art is they drew Cunnilingus and that's Some and that's fa- great. Fantastically graphic sex scenes. Yes. And again, very hard pivot. I was I was reading a bit like, whoa. Like I I've got a thing where and there's it's been a recent trend. We've talked about it before, so I won't get too much into it, but the the recent lack of sex scenes in like films and TV shows. I think the main reason being is because people don't care about them as much because they cause the internet exists. So it feels like mm. it feels um gratuitous to put or especially gratuitous sex scenes are putting people off more. Yeah, because I think in, in the era that we grew up in, there was quite a lot of sex in TV and movies. Um, but, like, having hypersexuality, like a lot of really heavy sex stuff portrayed on film isn't a new thing. Like, Caligula is super dirty. Yeah, but my point is that I think it's less common now because it's like people like, I, I if, it, if it affects the story in a negative way, we're more um, down about that because we're like, we don't need this. We could just go on the internet. Like it's it's all mm. there. So why are you harming this fiction that I'm enjoying with a gratuitous sexy? And then Saltburn comes out. Saltburn <laughs> oh, Saltburn is not gratuitous. I've have mm. you seen it? It's not gratuitous. It is very important to the characters and right. motivation. Like it needs to be there. If anything, it's too like it's too character informing. I cannot if you haven't seen it, I cannot I've get not into why. But, but I have got Murder on the dance floor stuck in my head, and I have done for about two weeks now. Can't I cannot wait for you to find out why that's popular <laughs> now? Because I've just been walking around singing it a lot. Oh, there's a character who sings in the in the film, and everyone's looking at me like I'm weird, and I don't know why. I'm just like, this is just a pop song from it's the noughties. Because they've seen Saltburn. Yeah, this is it. I'm I'm weeding out the ones that have seen Saltburn by the way they react to me singing Murder on the Dance Floor. Yeah, I'll show you some night. I want to see your reaction to it because I think uh, think it'd be good. I, I mean, I feel like that's one that I should probably watch on my own just to save everyone their blushes. <laughs> Do are we going to blush in front of each other? Like, really, at this point? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. So back to the comic. We, <laughs> did, we didn't drift that far, but it was it was refreshing to see. And I think this gratuitous sex in TV and film is one thing. I think in this because it's so rare in comics because comics are normally aimed at kids and young adults and mm. stuff. This being an explicitly adult comic is like it's it's having not seen it much. It didn't feel gratuitous in the way and i think it did get across like where these characters are because that informs later their stories and why they do the things they do it's like you don't get why someone i mean to jump a bit into the story we're dunning with the arting now yeah i think so sure. so <laughs> you tried that it didn't go very far did it? i might try variations as we go along but um yeah it, it really informs the characters motivations because they go on to do things that they probably would not have done or other characters were not done if it wasn't for the fact that one they're having an affair but more it more informs like how important this affair is to them it's not yeah. just they're having an affair because one is cheating and the other is is not you know is attracted to the other person or whatever it's they are having a a hot affair that yeah that is like it's like a, a a lease a new lease on life for them because of how passionate the sex is so and it, it was he's very much in them. love with her and she really needs that affair and it's exactly. powerful stuff isn't it yeah and i think this is where we start getting to like the intertwining characters and yeah i mean this is going to be like often we end up talking around the comic a lot because there's not 
a whole lot going on in the story. This is one where it's the story is really dense and really rich. And also we have all these revelations that kind of recontextualize the story. Hmm. They, they, whoever wrote this did a really great job of creating a really compelling story but then metering out these revelations in such a way that it you all like you already know that tony and what's his name uh hang on let me bring that up literally again. shows you the characters yeah i should bring that page up just for like reference. I, i'm doing it now palmer sneed yeah so we know that tony and palmer are having an affair but then we find out things about both of them hmm in the mid-comic, and then something comes up right at the end that really contextualizes this, and it's so interesting. I think before we get into spoilers, because this is one where there's no no kind of, apart from one specific thing right at the end, which I guess we'll talk about at the end, there's a bunch of revelations that we have to talk about when talking about the stories of the characters. So I'm going to say we'll just do this little bit here, and then we're going to be into spoilers if you haven't read the comic. The bit I want to talk about is the 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 narration device yeah it's very interesting because it's almost as though you're seeing it narrated via talking headpieces yes like people are being interviewed about their experience of this time and they've all moved on in their lives quite a lot Mm. and they're all they all seem quite settled and normal again Mm. and yeah and so that narration is really interesting isn't it and to compare to normal comics um or every other kind of comic um the narration is normally a bit of a cheat code for like getting across extra exposition that you don't have time or you can't condense into the panels. You can't show visually or through dialogue. Yeah. So Marvel and DC, very common for this. They it, The narration is normally just the inner monologue of the superhero at the time, whether it's during or whether it is a past tense one, like retroactively yeah. talking about it, but it's just the inner monologue. Sometimes they get a little creative, like, as we've seen, we always mention the prime one, which is Tom King, yeah, uh, where his is either a letter to someone or it's someone's writing a book or something like that. But this is a fantastic slow burn. Yes, I especially appreciate that it's, it's each character retroactively talking about the events or kind of in chronological order. So like they're talking to someone who's asked them about the events and they go with, they're kind of telling their story as it goes but there's also these times where they're in the third person mm. there's one yeah there's one narration that is like a, an, an actual like what's it like um is there a term for it like author narration kind of yeah thing. so yeah. yeah there's a third person narration i think the third person narration about tony is really funny because it says tony had never been fucked like this before. i literally made note of the same bit she'd never even really thought of sex as fucking until now it was too vulgar she got laid or made love. And one time in England when she was 23, she had shagged. I thought that was so funny. I especially appreciate that she had shagged. She'd not been shagged. Yeah. I like the, the possessiveness, like she had shagged. And each one of those is over a different panel. And this is the bit we were talking about. There's one bit where he's behind her, one bit where she's climbing on top of it. And then one like super graphic and linger scene. Yeah. And that's what we're kind of seeing there. And then there's a moment where she um, demands to be handcuffed because um, he's a cop policeman a, so well, that is that is contextually related yeah, yeah yeah but it's just like so that was third person but then for everyone else it kind of skips into the third person but we also do see tony being interviewed and so we do get a first person narration from her mm. and so that was the one bit where i was like i wasn't really sure what was happening there same same and then as it goes on without getting spoilers just yet it's kind of subtly reveals that these interviews with people in the future aren't actual interviews. So this yeah. is where they play with the the realism 
because yeah. the interviews they're not there's no one actually talking to them they yeah. are they are taught these characters in the future yeah are talking to you as the reader yeah they are addressing you and you it's never made explicit it seems at first like someone is interviewing these characters in the future but then it jumps around in time the people are just talking to the reader at like 10 years 20 years 30 years like it's all over the place the closest thing i can think of it in a way to describe it that everyone will understand it's the same narrative device that is used in both the big short and the wolf of wall street particularly the wolf of wall street where jordan belfort's character is talking to you directly you know that scene where he's driving his ferrari and he goes no 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 no, my ferrari wasn't red it was white yeah and the ferrari changes from red to white on the screen yeah it's that isn't it it's it's the it's a the characters are retrospectively talking to you the reader about their experience and then in the panels they're always looking directly at you as though you're having the conversation with them yeah and explicitly what it shows is that it couldn't be it'd be very unfeasible that it's someone actually speaking to them because they're talking to people in like the most random places so like they're in their job they're in line in a in a shop they're at home with their family they're with people who aren't acknowledging them talking to someone else yeah It, it really gets across like they are not talking to another character in this universe they are talking to you the reader they're not acknowledging you as a reader or anything like that but it's just getting their perspective from a later date and i i thought it was a very creative use of narration in like this. there's one really specific scene where leela the young superhero character mm. is at a roller roller ring yeah and she's literally skating turning around to, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah there's no like interviewer with a camera guy and they're both on skates as well like whoa that like, would be dope no, as, exactly. a, as a skater that would be the best yeah but again and with a cable behind <laughs> <laughs> tripping up bystanders like I think that's the point where I was like, hang on, what's going on here? Because at first I was like, ooh, who? I wonder who's interviewing them in the future. Is it a policeman? Is yeah. it a, a journalist? Like, what's going And then when it got to that point, I was like, oh. And I, I kind of had to reconcile, like, how do I feel about this once I kind of got what was going on? Yeah, I mean, it all, on some level, it cheapens it. On another level, it makes it all the more interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very refreshing, like, again, way to do it. I've not seen it before. And I think, again, what really solidified it for me is like oh i i love this actually was when one character you literally she continues a conversation with the reader over like years and yeah. each panel is like years again years ahead years and you and, this but, tone and it's one following um one following conversation with the reader yeah so that was the point where i was like oh this is something else i was like i, I actually i love this now it almost frames it as if you the reader have become interested in this cold murder case yes and have gone and sought these people out and you the reader are the narrative voice yes that actually sums up perfectly i think which is weird i've never seen it before but then and then when you are looking at the stuff that takes place in in the past where the setting of you know the murder and everything this is where then if you feel like you're an investigator seeing each person's point of view mm. and you it doesn't even go so far as to like do different points of view like as in it doesn't do one scene from one point of view and then the same scene from another it's always different bits of information like everyone's yeah. being truthful everyone's being honest with yeah yeah reader. totally and that's very important but what i appreciate especially is you'll have one bit where one character's talking about their experience with another and they're painting them in a really bad light and then you get to a point where the other character in the future goes can i say my partner are we talking about daniel and karina yes exactly yeah. Yeah. and then right at the, we don't really hear from karina properly until the very end mm. and that 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 bit was chilling like yeah. for me dan so daniel and karina's story was my favorite plot line yeah should we say at this point we're gonna get into some of the revelations because it i think it, it 
we can't go ahead without yeah. revealing some. So the I'd, first and most prominent revelation. I was just going to say at this stage, if you haven't read it, go read it. Highly recommend it. It would almost serve you better for us talking about it if you've read yeah. it. <laughs> if, if you have any inclination to read it, stop this now. Go read it. Come back. It's one graph. It's one hardback kind yeah. of graphic novel. So um, it's like six issues worth. I'd say six. Seven I issues. smashed it out in the duration of two forty-five minute train journeys. Yes. So it's it's a quick read. It's not overly dense, but it's very enjoyable. And take your time with it because there's a lot to pick up on as there's, well. And there's a lot of there's a lot of plot threads here, but I never felt I was struggling to follow it. So, there was a couple of instances where I had to double back, and then I was like. Oh, that's clever. Like, oh, I get it. I had to reread, but I was like, oh, I get it. I get what's going on here now. And I, I appreciated the added so salty. I am going to go into just the way that they set the story up because yes. I think it's useful. Um, This woman and her husband buy a house and he dies on the beaches of Normandy mm. and she turns it into a guest house and she lives her life really happily with all of these hippies and a just real bohemian artist kind of saying yeah and you know that she just has people come and go and live with her and that's how she spends her life and then after her death one of her nephews runs the guest house and he turns it into a place of disrepute hmm. and the the ownership is being contested by several yeah. um uh, next of kin heirs yeah and so we open up onto a fight that breaks out in front of this house it turns out the fight is between a character called Sid and a character called Daniel. Um, it's later. Their stories kind of come into it later, but this cop breaks it up. He catches the eye of a local married woman. And then she, the, a couple of weeks later, he helps her in the house with somebody something. And she just whaps him out and is like, mm. come on, big boy. And he's lived next door for ages. Yes. She's not noticed, but then this instance makes her see him in a new light. And so they have this really steamy affair and they both make it really clear that what makes it so hot is that he has, there's this power imbalance. Mm. It turns out that he is not a cop. He works- Loved in, that reveal. Th yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what really drew me into the story. Cause I was like, oh, this is the kind of story I'm reading. Now. Yeah. And so he's not a cop. His dad was a cop. His dad was a bastard. And he was getting a lot of reverence at his funeral from his cop friends. And he had his badge on his chest and he said, no, I'm not letting you be a cop in hell. Stole it from the coffin. And then we see him slowly get into using the badge. Mm. And to start with, he just uses it to make his life easier. You know, somebody, somebody is lingering in a parking space that he wants. So he whips the badge out. Mm. But then it culminates in this first pivotal scene, which is the first time he used it for what he calls something good. Yeah. Which was to run this Sid guy out of town. And he even says, I felt like a sheriff running this Sid guy out of town. And he was a, a known bad guy, maybe a yeah. drug dealer. Like people didn't like him. He was, he was a nuisance. He was a real ruffian, you know? Yeah. And so that was a really, yeah, that was a really interesting character revelation because when we first meet, what is his name? I'd literally just looked at the it. The cop? Yeah, Palmer. Palmer. Yeah. When we first meet Palmer, we think of him as this very straight-laced guy. Yeah, very stereotypical. Like, that was... This revelation was the point where I was like, oh, things are not as they seem. Which I should have known, because this is like Ed Brubaker's, like, bread and butter in terms of writing. Like, very interesting. Not necessarily complex, but, yeah, just interesting characters. So at first when I was like, he's a hard ass cop and yeah. she's a lonely housewife and now they're having an affair. And like, I was kind of going through those bits like, okay, it's interesting, but yeah. And then as soon as the the reveal that he's not yeah. a cop, I was like, oh shit, like this is something. And yeah, it turns out that he he's like very lonely and this kind of was a way into him. He's like a shelf stacker at a petrol station. At a liquor store. Liquor store, yeah. And there's this general 
kind of idea in America that working in a liquor store is really not very highly regarded employment. Like if somebody worked in like a bottle in Australia or a corner shop that sold a lot of booze in the UK, you'd be like, yeah, you're just working your job, you're earning your money. Yeah. Whereas because of the kind of puritanism that remains in America and they're, they're kind of quite negative connotations with alcohol, mm. working in a liquor store is like looked down upon because it's almost like, well, you're the guy that the alcohol comes from. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then, but even working at a brewery would be still like respected more. Like, yeah, absolutely. You're making the alcohol, but then there's the other, the lower. Oh, you're just selling it. Like. Yeah, and so it's like, yeah, he he, and he's. I mean, the the revelate. The, I think the interesting thing is that through because of different things that happen in the story, he leaves town, and then it turns out that he spent the rest of his life floating around pretending to be a cop. Mm. And there's this really great scene in a trailer park he'd been living in where a cop is looking for him. And the guy's like, well, he must have been a cop because he was like the sheriff of this, yeah. this trailer park. This is like fast forward to like years and years after. This happens thing. right at the end of the yeah. comic when we see where their lives have all kind of ended up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought his character was really interesting. Again, probably, I mean, actually, you know, probably one of the least interesting characters. It was the way he interfaced with Tony that made him so interesting. Yeah. And one thing I really liked about Tony's representation, obviously we've gone over the physical representation, which yeah. was interesting in itself. I like this was a story about a very stereotypical lonely housewife, like bored with her marriage, is having a, a hot affair and how how is this all going to pan out kind of thing. I appreciate that it started with her perspective. It's like, mm. I'm in a marriage. I don't know why he doesn't just divorce me. This is back in the 70s, 80s. This, so they, they give you a couple of really subtle nods as to when it's set. Right. Reagan's on TV. Yeah. 80s. So it's set in the 80s. And then at some point, it references something very specific to 1984. Right. So this happened in 1984. So the fact that I think at that point you know couples could divorce like it wasn't it, it was maybe a bit scandalous but it wasn't like as Certainly frowned in upon america as before. I mean, in britain divorce in in the 80s in britain divorce was quite taboo yeah um because we're always a little bit behind but mm. in america divorce was the norm but i think at this point especially uh, ec like financially economically like the fact that she was a housewife that she you know what wasn't a bread earner at all or anything that it would be financially a lot more difficult for her to split up. So the fact that yeah. she's not initiated any kind of divorce or anything might in itself be a reason for her not doing it. But the point yeah. I'm trying to get is, is that by starting with her perspective, it immediately makes her more sympathetic. Yeah, absolutely. Than if it had been just, here's a married couple and the wife is cheating on the husband. Like it very commonly in our maybe less so these days bit by bit but ultimately still somewhat misogynistic society mm. if someone in a couple is cheating if it's the woman it's a looked at a lot more harshly than if it's the man like that yeah. is the way the world works unfortunately still so by making her the first kind of perspective it makes her a bit more sympathetic and that in itself makes it more interesting to me it helps the the way they portrayed her husband ted dr ted mm. who is a psychiatrist we find out later is a psychiatrist yes he's not painted particularly sympathetically he's kind of rude to her he he so she is like smoking hot let's be frank yeah here. he looks a bit like sigmund freud <laughs> he's like balding and old and kind of putting on a bit of weight with a little mustache um and so and we don't see a whole lot of him until the end of the the story do we no he bits a, he's he's a, he's a background character in tony's like story yeah and then when we get him later it, it immediately ramps up interest as soon as we actually 
speak to him. Yeah. Uh, he never properly narrates, and that becomes apparent why later. Yes. Um, there's a scene with him which I really loved in terms of like revealing exposition. I thought it was so clever. So there's a bit later where he is talking to uh, another character, a homeless veteran. Yeah. Um, named Ranko, which is yeah. a great name. <laughs> I've never heard Ranko. that before. Yeah, at least, at, he's got a weird name, so let's at least like Sergeant Ranko dignify him with his rank. Yeah. He's Sergeant Ranko, and naturally, at the time, he is a forgotten, discarded veteran of the American military-industrial complex. Yeah. Uh, he's homeless and living in a tent, and basically, he seems a bit weird but it's explained later why he is i thought in another great way he is having meetings with the psychiatrist character and the, the psychiatrist they're not proper like psychological meetings they're like he's basically hired this homeless guy to watch his wife and follow his wife so immediately we're going oh he knows or he suspects the affair but then when we hear his recording exactly it becomes very clear that he's recording these interactions as if ranko has become fixated on him and is stalking his wife yes and it literally the change and this is a part where i had to reread to be like hang on have i missed a bit and when i realized i hadn't i was like oh that's better like i, I haven't missed a part it's the the hard turn is part of the reveal yeah absolutely so he's talking to ranko and ranko's like uh, yeah, I, I saw her the other day and there was some guy going in the house weather and the psychiatrist like, yeah, it's in, it, it, don't do anything. It's just important you keep tabs on her, keep yeah. following her. And then without any transition or anything, it just cuts to psychiatrist now alone in the room without Ranko yeah. speaking to record and he says, yes, he's he's become unhealthily uh, fixated on me and to my wife and I fear he might do something yeah. and then he's got a gun on the table so that I thought was like so great and, and like, that is the end game isn't it yeah. that's that's where we're like right there's a gun Chekhov's gun Chekhov's has arrived gun. like there's gonna be a murder and you and you always know there's gonna be a murder but it's mm. just who's gonna get killed yeah for a long while I was really worried that it was gonna be either Leela or Tony yep yep the, the great building of tension by yeah. not revealing the body earlier on totally i thought that was a very smart use of like the title and the premise like you know there's a body coming i'm gonna make you wait to see who it is and that and so they'd set up ranko as being like a really unstable character and leela is like taking him sandwiches and talking with him and stuff and then they also set up dan so dan and K karina's story karina yeah um daniel is portrayed oh as no sorry tommy and karina tommy so tommy is like a drug addict and throughout the story he's robbing houses to um fund his habit and he strikes up a friendship with leela and leela's 11 years old in this mm. she's just kind of on her roller skates floating around playing superhero playing superhero spying on everybody reading superhero comics yeah, I and, felt represented. and this Tommy like gives her a stack of comics and they have conversations and she talks about the fact he was her first crush. Mm. And you're looking at that going, fuck, that's not good. Mm. Um, and setting up all these interweaving connections yeah. between all the characters, which I thought is one of the best versions I've seen of that of that style because it was subtle and it all made sense. Yeah, and, it, and I, I really had a sense of the fact that, yeah, if she was roving around the neighborhood as a naive child investigating everything and watching people and observing people, it would stand to reason that she would end up chatting with some of them, particularly as her family didn't pay much attention to her, often shut away in the house. Grandma didn't speak any English. Yeah, that little like, bit of like her probably being the, the most fluent in English. Yes. It kind of creates 
an isolation not only between her and the rest of the world by not being white but also with her and the rest of her family by being the most american in her family to be clear because of the work i do so many alarm bells set off of like vulnerable child vulnerable child vulnerable child and the whole time i was reading this i was like that is a vulnerable child right there in in the mix of all these really adult stories and Mm. i thought uh, and again it was sensitively and beautifully played out like i never got a sense that anything weird you know what i mean like i never felt that way about it but the whole time i was reading it i was like wow we're we're seeing a really vulnerable child in the Mm. middle of putting herself in the middle of all these very adult stories and we know there's going to be a murder yeah the fact that she's interacting with this um homeless veteran who may or may not be unhinged for, for reasons that are explained later it's great that their conversation is so wholesome to the point Mm. where at one point he's like yeah i tackled this guy because i thought he was spying on people it turns out it was some private detective yeah but the way he does that and then she to him is like ranko you can't do that and he's like oh sorry (laughs) like yeah no they have a really lovely relationship and the relationship she has with tommy is really lovely it is up until a point well so she finds out that Tommy is the one who's been robbing these houses and that's what she's been looking into. And it it really, you know, it, it kind of, it's that loss of innocence moment for her, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, a real point of maturity which she reflects on later as an adult. And it's, it's really subtly got across. She's not, yeah. she's, she's not saying like, I became a woman at that point. No. Like I emotionally became an adult. She just kind of says like, oh, I lost this crush that I had. And you, yeah. you, it infers really well of like, Oh, you had a realization at this point that people aren't who you think they are. And have you ever had, do you remember that when you had that moment as a child where like an adult failed to meet your expectations for the first time and you went, oh my God, they're infallible, they're fallible too? I think adults and even just people, everyone, like people your yeah. age, like there, there's points where you, you realize you have created ideals of a person. Yeah. And that, and that they don't match up to them and part of maturity is realizing oh no it's it's me for putting those expectations on someone else like that's why because tommy's the the, like the relationship that we see between her and tommy is very wholesome he's just Mm. like she's a neighborhood child that he's nice to and gives comic books to because he finds a stash of them in sid's room yeah you know it's like but again you know they they built so much tension in the way these stories are woven together that i was like oh my god that's a concern now yeah I think we're not going to get into like every character beat, which is again another big reason why if you haven't read it and you're still listening at this point, you should read it just to because we're not going to touch on everything and yeah. there's so much we're going to miss, so much great stuff we're going to miss. I think we're just going to hit kind of some of the biggest points, which kind of had the most impact. Well, I suppose much like an Inspector Calls, the book that we all had to read in secondary school if you were lived in the UK, I had to read Bloody Catcher in the Rye, uh, which I hated. Did you read Catcher in the Rye in yeah, secondary school? Sucked. I oh, I God. hated the main character so much. I f- so I hate Catcher in the Rye because I read it a bit later. I was like 18, 19 by the time I read it, and I thought that Holden Caulfield was a precocious piece of shit. I read it like. 13 14 and yeah. i just thought he's a whiny asshole like so there because there's a divide there there's this really interesting divide between people who do and do not like catcher in the rye and it often comes down to when they read it like when mm. in their life they were exposed to it because a lot of people who read it quite young really identified with holden yeah but anyway um <laughs> so this private investigator comes and yeah. he really is the catalyst for everything going wrong yes a lot of people have their stuff going on extra legal uh, like activities or what have you so the fact that there's someone there that they're like oh they might affect like what we're doing right now that that actually spurs them to 
act in different ways, change their course. Like it, it starts the ball rolling of the, what's the expression of like, uh, uh, the was it the Rue Goldberg machine? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that kind of, for British people growing up, the mouse trap, like it started yeah. the the contraption of the characters and where they go is this private investigator is like, Hey, I'm looking for this girl. Her parents are worried about her. It's Karina. Yeah. And have you seen her kind of thing? And cause he's asking other people, people are like, I spent, well, the prime one, I think the, the best one is Palmer. Yeah. Cause he's like, Oh shit. He's probably ex police. I'm fucked. Well, somebody, somebody says, Oh, there's a cop who lives across the street. You should probably yeah. talk to him. And so he starts asking what precinct he's in and stuff. And that's when, he starts to become a bit unhinged. Yeah, he's really. like, I'm going to be found out. Like, he's been a bit weird, but relatively stable through the whole story, and it's that that kind of pushes him. He's a, he's a character that he's fine when everything else is fine. Yeah, and then, of course, the fact that there's a PI sniffing around the neighbourhood complicates Dan and Karina's story, because they're robbing their their neighbours. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of pushes them to the point that they're robbing, instead of just robbing the occasional house to make money, they go around the whole neighbourhood to get as much money as they can to leave, which is what puts them in the murder scene, isn't it? Yeah, so, well, the actual murder scene that is the point of the book, of the comic, is is really interesting because it, it happens so unceremoniously. Mm. First of all, we don't see any murder or anything. We, we start by literally, you turn the page and it's the first thing is a body out on the sidewalk in the middle of the day, like yeah. just open day. The private investigator uh, is, for spoilers, if you haven't got to this point, private investigator is dead on the sidewalk. And... What I loved especially is at this point, I, like I think you were as well, you're asking where is this body coming from? Who's it going to be? You see the private investigator and then Lila or Leela. I know we'll go Lila. Uh, Lila, we'll go yeah. Lila. Lila is the first person to come across the body and immediately that's like what you were saying about this kind of, this point of innocence, this character yeah. representation of innocence is suddenly confronted with, uh, she was like investigating house robberies and mm. now she's got a report a a. a, a murder scene or body so she's running around going to all the characters uh or the adults one of being palmer palmer's like you sound crazy oh no so she's running around she and goes then to her mum yes and then she goes back to the body and it's gone and palmer's taken it because he doesn't want it to look like he's killed it and that's a very quick reveal afterwards yeah. but especially as soon as the body disappears i had that click of like Oh, that's what the title was. Because yeah. up until that point, I was looking for a body, but I had ignored the was. Yeah. And when the body disappeared, I was like, oh, where the body was. Yeah. Right. That where, yeah, that's exactly. Because the whole way through, I just assumed that reference, that suburban cul-de-sac is like, that cul-de-sac is where the body was, right? And that's yeah. what we're, we're seeing all the lives in this little community. Yeah. And it becomes a very literal at that moment. Past tense, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the ultimate revelation... And I think, you know, what the story is, what the, had, had that PI not been there and put all of those people in the same place at the same time, um, what we were driving towards is that the doctor was going to frame Ranko for murdering Tony. He was yeah. going to murder his wife and frame Ranko for it. Um, and so we get to this scene where Dan and Karina are in Tony's closet, ransacking the place. Yes, they were robbing. Palmer went around to try and get Tony to run away with him. Well, initially that, but then mm. he, he can't bring himself to tell her that he's not a cop. Yeah. And so he says he's going away and actually he's going to run to away. To a police conference up I north. I know, ridiculous. So he <laughs> Go, really goes ham with the police I'm stuff, I'm going he? to the uh, police conference. Like, how long did it take you to come up with that? Well, I mean, Very on quickly. the spot. Yeah. yeah. and He's not a great improv is what I'm saying. 
and the doctor comes in finds that his wife is in bed with another man lets off a warning shot goes through the closet wounding tommy who falls out of the closet with karina and all hell breaks loose (laughs) yes and then ranko busts in (laughs) yeah because so what what we've realized here is that the doctor is so conditioned ranko that actually he really feels for him and he's but he's finally had enough of Palmer being around there. Well, he says later, which I thought was good, was he explains like he runs in hearing the shot thinking that it was the cop because mm. you would assume the cop has the gun. And then he says when he goes in and sees uh, the doctor holding the gun, immediately he worked out like instantly. And yeah. he was like, oh, you're the guy. And like tackled him and got the gun away from the stuff. Yeah. And it does feel like the doctor as soon as he kind of fired the shot and realized he'd hit someone else, I think immediately his plan went out of the window. He was just yeah. like, I'm done. I'm giving up. I'm not buying or anything. Like, I think what was so terrifying about him, and they did it very purposefully, is that he admits to what he did, but he never tells them why. Yep. And, and then he dies of a staph infection in prison, and so we never find out why he wanted her dead. And that's why we never get a uh, narration from him. Because not only is he not alive in the future to give us one, but at no point after the main story, he never talks to us because he didn't talk to anyone. So even though we are this ethereal investigator speaking to people, you know, free of like constraints of reality, we're just talking to the people um, as and when, whenever, he did not speak to anyone and he won't speak to us as the reader either, implicitly. At uh, the point where what he's sitting in like court or something, and he's just sitting there silently, and it's kind of like one panel on him. It's he's in a prison cell. Yeah, I felt like that was him refusing to speak to the reader almost. Yeah. So, oh uh, yeah, I love like love those little again very subtle points that you can just interpret how you want. Yeah, and I think so. Da- so Daniel and Karina, Tommy and Karina's story is yeah. the one that really stuck with me. Yeah, because once we got Karina's side. Yeah, and so we inter- you as the reader at some point interview Karina and she says, no, I did love him, um, but I was in such a fractured, broken place that I was saving him for later because if I'd had sex with him, it all just would have fallen apart. Yeah. And they do get together years later and it's not a fairy tale and they break up. Yeah, but they but what's the happy ending part of that? Like, it's not the fairy tale ending, but to me what the happy ending is, they had a good go. They j- had a real attempt at a relationship as normal adults. Yeah, They absolutely. weren't strung out teenagers. They actually gave a good shot and it didn't work out, but the, the fact they had that chance at all is, to me in itself, a happy ending. It's lovely. It's, it's a, a resolution and um, closure for them as well. Yeah. Because if it- they'd never met at that point it was like what if they had that what if and again we've seen a few different representations of like people in the throes of drug addiction particularly heroin um a really notable one was ice cream man yes yeah but for horror story purposes so a lot darker yeah and and this like they both got the most positive outcome you can get after a heroin addiction which is not doing heroin anymore uh Tommy went to hospital and then rehab. And then probation. (laughs) Yeah. And she was sent away to live with relatives on a farm. farm And And that panel where she like her hair's her hair was always scruffy and like dyed a funny color. And then she's got this like long blonde hair and she's leaning over a fence post on a farm and like looking healthy, looking healthy. And the whole panel is like flooded with this golden light. And you're like, oh, wow, that's just such a beautiful. And again, that the lighting and the shading, like the really informing every single panel. Yeah, no, when you said this earlier, I kind of glossed over it. But the whole comic is beautifully lit, isn't it? Mm. And again, (laughs) the darker moments are very shaded. And there's like points, especially in the explicit sex scenes, there's like points where their faces are like covered in shat. There's actually now 
I think about it, I was literally just saw it a minute ago. There's parts where Palmer's face is completely covered in shadow and Tony's is not. Yeah. And is that like a sort of reference of like him hiding his true self, whereas she is very open? Yeah. And then you've also got the idea that like she, he is the light in her life for that in those moments. Yeah. And so like she is literally basking in the glow of somebody who wants her that intensely. Mm. But he is not out of the darkness. He's he's very much in the darkness in these moments as well. So Yeah, because, I, you know, she's lying to somebody else about their relationship. He's lying to her about it. Yeah. I think there's... Uh, the mystery of why the Doctor wanted to kill his wife, I thought that was a bit redundant. I was like, he knew she was cheating on him. Like, is was that not enough? But, yeah, possibly, but he doesn't... I just assumed that was it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't... Yeah, it's interesting, because I kind of felt that he was so because he said i didn't act through emotion everybody else did mm. and so the the assumption was that the assumption based on like the legal professionals had and they referenced this is that he didn't want to lose his house in a divorce yeah um and and he makes it very clear that i wasn't acting from emotion everybody else and everybody else was but i wasn't and so like it doesn't feel that that was his motivation yeah again we see so little of him purposefully i think mm. that his motiv- motivations are unclear he is more of a plot point but the fact that in this book with such rich characters that one character is just a plot point is in itself like a an interesting character yeah and it, and he's the character that in any other story would have been the focal point yeah he is like the the most affluent He's the oldest and most affluent male character. He's rarely in the neighborhood because he's working a proper nine. He's one of the only characters working like a proper nine yeah, to five. Totally. So he's just out and away and working late constantly and all that stuff. So he's he's rarely there, but his presence is felt because he lives in the in the area. Still. Yeah. And and again, um, when Leela talks about Ranko observing the house, mm. it's not made clear until quite late that he's the doctor. Mm. and he they keep talking about Ranko being focused on the doctor's house, and it isn't until Ranko physically sees Palmer leave that you realise that Tony's the doctor's wife, right? Yeah. And so he's a presence, but he's a real unknown presence for a lot of it. He's talked about yeah, more, more it than It wasn't clear to me if he was the doctor, because we only hear her refer to him, so she uses his Christian name. Mm. She doesn't call him... We don't him... know the two are the same, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's not until we have that revelation where Ranko sees Palmer leaving his house that we're like, oh, so he is the Doctor. Also, we haven't mentioned it. The dialogue, I think, is some of the most naturalistic dialogue. Stellar. And this is that's a common Ed Brubaker point, especially in his own stuff. Like, the stuff they do for Image, their cell phone stuff, him mm. and Phillips it's always this very real um, dialogue style. Mm. So I appreciate that every time. And I'm, I'm glad it's even better in this, I feel. Lots of different voices being captured really accurately. Yeah. Like in the flashbacks, I can always tell who's speaking. Yes, very distinct styles. Um, I The first note I made was in the first kind of breaking up the fight, uh, Pam does, and my note was, shitbird is an underrated phrase. <laughs> shitbird? Like, hold, hold it right there, shitbird. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I need to use that more. I can almost hear Palmer's voice. Yes, yeah, because uh, he plays into that stereotypical cop in the 80s. Like, he's rough on the job. I love the stereotype of his dad had yeah. a heart attack a week before retirement. Yeah. I was like, I love that. That's like a cool reference. Like, that's like, a, if you know the genre, yeah. that's like a fun little, like, Oh shucks, he was a week before retirement, like oh, eating hell. a double cheeseburger. Yeah, like a that, fat old cop. That and not not to piss on anyone's chips here, especially yours. 
that was what I was complaining when we were doing 1602 with Neil Gaiman. Right. And his, his superhero references, which I was like, so heavy handed. This for me was like a, it was really subtle, but if you catch it, you feel like a, yeah. oh, I spotted that. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, bloody hell, that guy's a real daredevil. <laughs> like, this was my, this is what I like in that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Uh, I liked the, the body of the private investigator kind of, gets moved we don't know where he gets moved to but he gets discovered later and i feel like the reason they reflecting on now the reason that isn't shown is because that doesn't matter yeah and getting towards the ending uh one of the little pie like is ranko getting interviewed he's with his family like his sister and her family he's he's living with them he's He's playing with his niece and he's just like living his best life smoking a fat cigar but i like how explicit is where he's like yeah, I really, like, I trusted the Doctor the most, and it turned out he was setting me up to take the rap for a murder. And, yeah. and he was drugged. So what we're saying about Ranker acting erratic, Yeah, the Doctor's literally giving him meds to make him seem erratic. Yeah. And then he's recording saying that he's not taking his meds. So he's yeah. like, he's giving him the wrong meds to make him psychotic or attempt to yeah. and then later he's going to be like i tried to give him the meds and he wouldn't take them and that's why he acted oh i think ranko was a fantastic character yeah because again like right from the off when i met ranko i kind of went oh he seems like a good egg he's the sympathetic character yeah he, he's probably i mean him and tommy are probably the most sympathetic characters even though tommy's busy robbing his neighbors for heroin yeah um, robbie is the one uh, robbie tommy is the one that you're like come on mate like, yeah like, you know better because in in his early meetings with um karina He's this very sweet man who is a bit scared of her boyfriend. And he was a bit of a white knight in the beginning, like, leave yeah, her alone. like Totally. And then, you know, he's like, oh, I just was into drugs at the time. I would take anything and she was into heroin. So I did it with her and that's how we got into it. Mm. The um, bit where they're like spooning in the bed yeah. and the spoon and the needle is by the side. That's yeah. like quite harrowing. Like, yeah. But also you see the tenderness in that moment, even though it's a fucked up scene. Like yeah. you see how you can mistake that for love in that moment. Yeah, totally. I mean, and they did both love each other. They both genuinely loved each other. Yes, but she was also banging other guys, which yeah. is, again, she very explicitly says like, I was in a fucked up place. Mm. I was you know doing these unsympathetic actions because you know she was all over the place yeah she was messed up in the moment um so that again makes it a bit more like i don't condone your actions but i i get it like you're young you're you're literally on drugs like and tommy has an opportunity to sell her out there's a Mm. there's a day where the dad turns up and he's like the pi that we hired has gone missing the police are now looking for her where is she and he's like oh i don't know and she's off with another guy and he says i considered just setting her dad on her but i didn't and so he he you know ultimately after everything that he went through with her he had the opportunity to sell her out and didn't and that made him such a sympathetic character to me yeah that he did what he felt was in her best interest even when she was acting in a way that was making him really sad yeah he could have been like actually i think she's banging out the guy so i'm gonna rat her out like he didn't revert to that which was positive totally um and again, you know, their their story was the most compelling. I think the end of this I was gonna get made end, it yeah. for me. So one thing I wanted to address specifically is we kind of have an ending, a resolution to all the character stories. And then the comic goes, by the way, do you want to know who, who killed the private investigator? And I think that's a very <laughs> explicit way of telling uh, us as the readers, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Who, how he died does not actually matter i'll tell you anyway because you you, you'd be mad if we didn't you'd finish you go oh that was great hang on like 
And that's how they style it. Like it ends and then it goes, by the way, do you want to know who killed them? I think it really, really plays into the American psyche, this. Mm, the paranoia. Yeah, because so ultimately he is looking for Karina and he climbs up to a window and he sees her having sex with somebody and she's naked and she's beautiful and he feels intensely lonely, loses his grip, falls off the window, smashes his head on something and dies. And not even die. Oh, I liked the added realism. He didn't die immediately. He landed, was physically fucked tried to get to his car and yeah. died of the injuries like from crawling to the car he says my head hurt in a way i knew was bad yeah um he was like this is it i think this is gonna be it for me <laughs> yeah and again he's speaking retrospectively there yeah which is interesting um but i like the fact that america like americans kill each other at such a rate that when you see somebody in the street dead the automatic assumption is that they've been murdered yeah <laughs> like i think i think that really speaks to the american to, character to be fair I, I don't know if i would have the same thought i don't know if like if we saw a body on the street would you not think that was like Ill, like some like ill intent had happened no i would assume they got super drunk and fell over okay that's but, the thing depending on the time of day hmm. if i saw if i saw somebody collapse on the street i'd be like they've had too much to drink or they've done drugs you know now that i think about it i don't know what i would think until i was in the moment I yeah so yeah this is it isn't it um but well i mean we just we have less non-gang related murders in yes. the uk don't we not none just less um, well, yeah, no, yeah, no, it's not net zero, but by a wide margin, most of the murder that happens in the UK is gang related. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and so the automatic assumption, if you see someone collapsed in the street, is oh my god, they've gotten drunk and passed out because what we do have is a very high rate of alcoholism. <laughs> but to be fair, I mean, we kind of assume that, I guess, but also it's the fact that the body has moved is kind of the clearest indicator that something happened, and yeah. that's explained very quickly by Palmer being like, "I didn't kill him." And and in that part, I like it's so Im- we so implicitly trust him because he's in the future talking to the reader. Yeah. So the, no one lies, and we already kind of understand that we're not getting lies at this point. Like yeah. they are speaking truthfully to us into the future. So when he's like, "I didn't kill him, but I moved him because I if there were police around, they would ask about the poli- the cop who lives next door. Yeah. And I'd be found out. Very understandable. Like that's like a a unique situation where every action makes sense like it's yes. not contrived at all um and again i like as i said before he moves the body we don't know where he gets discovered later because they say his murder goes unsolved yeah but they find the body later but we don't see that because again that doesn't matter to the actual story of the characters we're seeing yeah the actual the dead body in itself is as you said it's almost like a MacGuffin. like mm. it's start like it's not a physical object but it starts a the actions that lead to where we get to again i just like how unceremoniously at the end they're just like hey by the way here's how he died and i I think that's a very explicit telling of what the import what is actually the uh what is the fundamental point of the story here it's what is happening with these characters at this time the body is just a a plot point i think it's great that it wasn't murder <laughs> yeah that was important as well so there's one character we've not talked about because she only pops up a couple times is it the old black woman yeah and i think it's really interesting because i get a sense that we're not really hearing about her because she's just not that interested in everybody else's business see i know <laughs> i only just remembered her because i looked at that character sheet at the front yeah and she's named there and i was like oh we only saw her a bit at the start and that was it and I, I think you could almost take that character out and it wouldn't make a difference, really. 
so she's really great in setting up how that guest house came to be yes and i think her perspective at the end is really interesting because they you know you you whoever this you know narrative voice is um speaks to her at the end about who the killer was yeah and she's one of the few characters who actually gives an opinion about who did that murder but it just it, i just get a sense that like she's this old woman who makes an effort a concerted effort not to be involved in everybody else's shit yeah yeah, she's representative in that way, I guess. Yeah. I did like the one point they do cut to every character in the future. Um, yes. And they and they all say who they think did it. Yes. So they're all talking in a way where, again, it's implicit that because they're talking to us, they are, must be truthful, that they all think it's someone else or they don't know. And at that point, you go, well, who killed them then? And it has someone been lying to us. And then after the reveal, right at the end, you go, Oh, that's why. Like yeah. they all suspect other like years later they all suspect someone else might have done it, especially the doctor for obvious reasons. And then it's like, no, he just fell off a thing and died. Yeah, totally. And you know, we see we see a bunch of different like um so she thinks it was Ranko. Yeah. And Tommy figured it was the doctor. She like knows Ranko the least out of everyone. Yeah, and it's just interesting that we see her we she bookends the story. We see her at the start, we see her at the end. We don't really see much of her throughout. Um, but no, it's it's yeah, it's a it's a really beautifully told story. I didn't mm. read the afterward, did you? I I did read it, yeah. And I the reason that I didn't want to mention it is because I felt like that it it felt a bit like a cheat sheet of like this is what it's about. Right. But okay. I, I think the general gist I got from it was the dual meaning of the the title. So yeah. it's not just where the body was in terms of um the the dead body mm. i think it was also a reference to like where your body was in the past like what uh, where you were and what you're doing and that's why we talk to these people in the future because we're talking about where their bodies were in the summer of 84 like what yeah. they, where they were and what they were doing and he does get across like the biggest themes are nostalgia and ro- like a bit summer romance and those kind of things he did have he does have a little interesting point at the end where he says i think it was phillips the artist came up to him at one point years ago and was like, should we do a romance story? And mm. Brubarger was like, yeah, all right then. And then he accidentally wrote a crime thriller. And then in this one, he set out to write a crime thriller and he accidentally wrote a romance. It's, yeah, I mean, a couple of romances as well. Exactly. So it wasn't that Brubarger couldn't do it, but he, he had different inspirations at different times. I like the extent to which we watch Tony age. Because we see yeah. Tommy bottoms out at about 50, whereas we see Tony go through her whole life. Like, she is leaving the town she's working at a supermarket she's an older woman enjoying a holiday and then she's a really old woman being wheeled around her care home yeah and the sad part especially is she never really finds love or even romance after palmer no because nothing would match it whereas palmer has many relationships like that one is what they say yes exactly and and that is a sad kind of moment itself but again speaks to the realism like of especially of these kind of characters in this kind of time setting like it's it's sad but real which makes it even more sad which makes it kind of uh, what what the word would be you're better with the words uh it's a bittersweet isn't bittersweet. it bittersweet is a p- perfect way to describe it yeah yeah it's very bittersweet i i thought i thought this was quite powerful stuff i thought it was great it, it met my expectations for a brubaker phillips comic so and they seem to be you know not not the slowing down at all so mm. like the next one that comes out i'm sure we will jump on that straight away as well yeah definitely goaded and i loved especially it was just one big release it was a graphic yes. novel it wasn't issues i'm reading a similar i've just actually finished a similar kind of comic recently 
from King Tile named Danger Street, if anyone's read it. It's a similar style of like different characters and different stories. That was released monthly. I've just read it in a bulk as it's already come yeah. out now, but I cannot imagine reading one issue a month. I would have been lost between every issue. Yeah, no, this needed to be a graphic novel, not a comic yeah. book series, didn't it? This style of story explicitly needs to be like a novel or a graphic novel. And fully, having read a really like broad cross-section of... um you know graphic novels and comic books over the past what year and a half that we've been doing this i genuinely think that presenting this kind of story in this way makes means that you can really explore things that it's hard to do on an episodic level yeah because it can be a slow burn whereas when you're releasing something episodically every issue needs to be a contained story Whereas this, you've got these all of these stories that sprawl out over the entire duration of the comic book. Yeah. And it means that it can be more profound and it can be more powerful and it can reach these more... It can, it can have a greater level of emotional depth. Yeah. I think it's part of the reason that we were both so besotted with 8 Billion Genies because it did the same thing. Well, that, I think, did come out monthly release. Did it? Yeah. Because the it start, every issue started with that planet Earth. Oh, yeah, of course it did. But Fuck, yeah. Even in this, like, I agree with your points, but even in this, it did kind of have, like, um, mild chapters. Yes, it did. So it, I think this could have been released by issue, and I think it would have had a similar effect. I'm mainly talking it from a personal point of view. I hate trying to have to remember the story from a month ago that I just yeah. read t- like 20-ish, 25 pages worth. And I think this is what's amazing about comic books as compared to novels. It's, it's, the, it's, one, of the, it's one of the, you know, it's one of the things that's different in the two mediums is that a novel of similar length, you would be hard-pressed to consume in one sitting unless you were yeah. a very diligent reader. Do you think because a lot of the words are describing the visual stuff and the panels get that across quicker? Yeah, so I have memories of, reading whole novels in one sitting and they i mean i've read i I did an english degree i've read a lot of books oh fancy dad well come on right like (laughs) i'm I'm pushing your buttons (laughs) i know i know i know but i can we got a reader here boys (laughs) i can specifically remember novels that i read in one sitting yeah and they're special for that reason because i was in one time and place like i remember there was one novel i read in a day i was living with an ex-girlfriend but wasn't really meant to be living there and so i wasn't able to go back to hers when she wasn't there and so she was working in a restaurant and i sat in the restaurant all day and the chefs and the waiting staff liked me so they brought me like three full meals for free while i was sat there and i read a I read a book start cover to cover in one day just sat in a restaurant and i'll never forget that novel because i was in one emotional state Hmm. and one place when i read it with these like trade paperbacks they're easily digestible in a couple of hours and so you get that experience almost every time with them like uh pride of baghdad eight billion genies this you know i consumed them all in one sitting and i think that's really special yeah yeah it's it's deep enough that there's something compelling in it but it's brief enough that you can always smash it out in one go yeah and i think unfortunately there's something to be said for the the single issue monthly or weekly or whatever release is more capitalist friendly because they charge a bit more for per comic um i hope that this kind of takes off in a similar way that like in video games there's single player video games are kind of taking uh they're definitely more well received more critically received than like the multiplayer like uh pay to play freemium that kind of thing where like you're paying constantly yeah i mean i think multiplayer gaming experience has always lacked depth like there's often a really solid core gameplay loop so talking about like 
to the I think the two big examples of like the past few years are Among Us and Fortnite. Yeah. They both have really solid core gameplay loops. Fortnite, it's a battle royale with building. Yeah. Core gameplay loop is solid there. Among Us, you know, each get each round of Among Us takes like half an hour or something, doesn't it? Not like five, ten minutes. Five, ten yeah. minutes. But the core gameplay loop is there is yes. really strong. But they both lack depth compared to like Tears of the Kingdom or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, for a while, multiplayer games were where the developers were really sinking all the money, wasn't it? Because multiplayer was new. It was hot. They are still because the money is still there. Yeah. Like you got this, you get this argument a lot in video games where it's like people like well you know tears of the kingdom wins awards like uh, breath of the wild and uh spider-man and uh more recently uh, boulder's gate and red dead back in the day like all those ones and the people are like why don't video game companies focus more because we clear like the audience clearly loves these kind of games more and there's always that voice of reason like the next comment has to be like because they don't make as much money like that will never change well not never but that will not change for the foreseeable future and i suppose you go like if you're playing Tears of the Kingdom, you're making a 60 to 80 hour investment. Yes. At least. If you're nuzlocking a Pokemon game, you're making a big time investment. And you are you are wanting to sit on your own and play that game. If you're just wanting some shooty bang face. Like, they're different experiences, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. They're one, less narrative, more, well, action, essentially. Yeah, totally. You want something that you can pick up and drop within 20 minutes. You can be in a lobby with your mates. Mm. It's 20 minutes of gameplay at a time. Whoever wins, wins. You carry on. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, the level of depth here was fantastic, I think. Yeah, I would I would agree. Goated status. I think it's definitely earned oh, that. Oh, fully, yeah. Just for being such an engrossing story. And uh, a nice reprieve from the superhero shenanigans. Definitely, yeah. I mean, you know that the non-superhero kind of more trade paperbacky stuff does well with me in general, doesn't yes. it? Yes, and you need one every once in a while just to kind of cleanse the palate a little bit i think yeah and and we're, we've had a lot of fun with the superhero stuff the past month or two haven't we like we've had a lot of fun with it mm. but just actually sinking our teeth into a really great story has been really fun yeah and again this will be one that it so this one the trade paperback came out in december 2023 uh, it can't so <laughs> i don't know we, we might have to this would have done well in our cheers and jeers 100 yeah this would have been a contender for if sure. we'd have gotten to this last year it would have done well yes absolutely i think we've covered all the points that we can for for now um, yeah. i would say we've definitely missed a lot because there's it's quite a dense story we so barely got into leela's storyline exactly so read it if you still if you've listened this far you still haven't read it please read it there's still a lot of stuff you'll get from it that we've not touched on a would highly recommend it yes so yeah. thank you so much for listening i know that some people find us divisive based on our youtube comments <laughs> but we really appreciate you spending that, this time with us we are a, a privileged and blessed enough to to be able to get thousands of views for some of our things yes and we get one comment out of the thousands that cause us gay and that's the one we hyper fixate on like they must not like us but we but we have a really great relationship with our bad comments we find them really funny exactly. so keep them coming so thank you so much for listening if you would like to leave us a review, do so wherever you get your podcasts from. We just like to hear from you mm, in yes. general. We find it really good fun. Constructive constructive criticism. Bloody hell, how can I say that? Constructive criticism. Constructive criticism uh, would be appreciated. 
uh, funny, nonsensical put downs even more appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. If there's something you'd like to say to us that can't be contained in a rude YouTube comment, you can send us an email, comicliterate at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And we make shorts. They're on YouTube. They're on TikTok. They're really good fun. They're, mm. they're, they are our favorite bits of this podcast condensed into 30 second sound bites with visuals of Batman's dick in them. More recently, they have been about Batman's dick. That is, <laughs> that is not representative of us as people. That just happened to be, we had some material <laughs> that would take a couple of shorts to get out. So I thought, well, let's just bash them out in one go. Hey! <laughs> like a penis or something. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and good night. Thank you. Goodbye.